Good morning, all. Be turning your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. We'll be there in just a moment. Great to see everybody this morning. Nice uh, summertime, hot Southern California morning. One other announcement. Uh, unfortunately, Dan Maul's dad, who was recently baptized, uh, passed away. And uh, I believe that's out in uh, Virginia. Is that right? Maryland. Okay, right next door. Uh, and uh, want to have uh, Dan and his family in our prayers as well. Matthew chapter 5, beginning of verse 1. Title of today's lesson is Be and Do. Be and Do. In Matthew 5, we have Jesus laying out his primary teachings beginning with the very basics and simple things that we all need to understand and know. And we're going to focus in on just two of these first Beatitudes, but hopefully it'll be enough to uh, whet our appetite maybe to go back and do some personal study in Matthew 5. It says, When he saw the crowds, he went up on the mountainside and he sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them, saying, Blessed, and blessed here means happy. Happy are the poor in spirit. Well, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they'll be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they'll be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Jesus here lays out attitudes, primarily internal things to be, and he ends all of these with saying, you'll be happy if you have this kind of attitude, and here is the results that will come into your life. He says that you need to be poor in spirit, and you'll be blessed with the kingdom of heaven. That if you mourn, that you'll be comforted. And he goes on through, and he, he makes all these observations. Then in verse 13, he says, basically, if you incorporate these kind of spirit attitude in your heart, here's what you're going to become. You're the salt of the earth. But if salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for, for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. You're the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Jesus starts out with to what you need to be. And he ends up here by talking about what you're going to do. Look at verse 16. In the same way, let your light shine before men so they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. So following Jesus and his teachings is a combination of be and do, right? 
And this is a complicated equation for most people. Should I more be and less do? Or should I the other way around? And this has been an argument. This has been a debate. This has been an equation that's very difficult for people to get into their life. Is Christianity, is following Jesus, more about who I am or what I'm doing? And it's something we fall back and forth. If we had a show of hands in the audience today, it would be interesting. We won't do that. But it would be interesting if we did. You know, How many of you believe that Christianity is more about who you are? Or do you believe that Christianity is more about what you do with your life? We have some that would want to have more be and less do, and more do and less be. I don't know where you fall in that line. Look in your Bibles over to the book of James. James chapter 2. James has a whole discussion about this that we're going to read together. Where he addresses the, 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 whole, the whole issue of is it our, who we are inside the be or is it the do? In James chapter 2 and verse 14, What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? See, here we go, right? Can such faith save him? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes or daily food. Now, this is, this is a brother and sister in bad circumstance right here. Hungry and naked. If one of you says to him, Go, I wish you well... Keep warm and well fed, but knows nothing about its physical deeds. What good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you know, there's always someone. <laughs> there's always, we, you know, we wonder if someone's up in the balcony. You know, it used to be the back row, now it's the balcony. Uh, you know, how far away can you get from the preacher? Daniel, Randy, David, I see you up there. It's amazing. I need reading glasses, but I can see just as clear as a bell up there. But someone will say, (laughs) you have faith, I have deeds. Well, hey, leave me alone. Show me your faith without your deeds, and I'll show you my faith by what I do. You believe there's one God? Good. Even the demons believe that. And shudder, you foolish man, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our ancestor Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and that his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend. You see that a person is justified by what he does and not, by faith alone. In the same way was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in different directions. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. The equation here is simply this. Both. You have to be and you have to do. If you are following the teachings of Jesus, if you're living a life that's pleasing 
to God. You have an emphasis on your life. This is what I need to be. And we all realize that wherever we're at, we're in a constant uh, remaking of ourselves in, internally. You know, you don't decide, I'm going to be loving. And the rest of your life from that moment on, you are perfectly loving. That's something you have to decide and then redecide and redecide again and again and again in life, right? So the B things in your life, are, it's not something that, that you make a one-time decision on it. This is an ongoing process in your life of realizing I need to be more of this or I need to have the heart of that, if you understand what I'm saying. You with me? So this is going on in our life, and the do we're going to talk about a little bit later. Okay, now look back to, to uh, Matthew 5. By the way, I hope you got your Bibles out. You aren't going to be using them today. We're going to look at two of these attitudes to have. And we don't have time to, to uh, spend any more time on it than that. Just two of them. We're going to look at two of these attitudes, and then we're going to look at the do uh, as well. First of all, poor in spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. For our purposes this morning, poor in spirit, we're going to say, means to be humble. To be humble. The opposite of pride. The opposite of arrogance. And I've got a few passages for us to look at. We're going to be coming back and forth to Matthew 5 if you want to mark that. But look over to Psalm 34. Psalm 34. This idea of being humble. Any of you out there struggle with uh, being humble? Hardly any. You should probably probably ask your wife whether you struggle with humility and uh, we'd get a better answer. Psalm 34, verse 18. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. And saves those who are crushed in spirit. God is close to people who have a lower opinion, not a higher opinion, of themselves as it pertains to others around them. It'd be interesting to do an analysis of the people that you work with as to whether you're humble or whether you're prideful. All of us struggle with arrogance and pride, myself included. But the intention is to lower yourself. Next time you have conflict with someone, try to remind yourself of what we're talking about right now. And instead of feeling yourself, just filling up with yourself, imagine yourself just lowering yourself. Just settle down a little bit. Next time you're having a fight with your wife, with your husband, instead of you feel yourself filling up with annoyance and arrogance, lower yourself. The Lord is close to those. Isn't what the psalmist is saying here? The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. And saves those who are crushed in spirit. It's amazing how much shorter an argument will be 
if you just settle yourself down. Blessed are the humble. Humility is not something you find that you're being by accident. Oh, I guess I was really humble there. I can assure you, that's not going to happen in your life. Humility, this to be, this internal thing that Jesus is talking about, the very first thing out of of his mouth, blessed are the poor in spirit, all the other attitudes that he talks about are built upon this. If you get this down, everything else can be added on. But if you don't get this right, you're going to have a hard time going anywhere else. Look back to Matthew, to Matthew 18. Jesus, uh, actually, he teaches on this fairly often. And in the passage we're going to look at, he uses a young child as an example. Matthew 18, verse 1, it says, at, at, the, at that time the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Well, wow, that's a great question, right? You know, who's the greatest one? Maybe they were hoping they'd make the top three. Abraham, Moses, and John. Maybe that's what they were hoping for. Of course, Peter was hoping for, for Peter. He called a little child and had him stand among them. So we're not talking about an infant that can't stand on its own. We're talking about a young child, little boy, little girl, and had him stand among them. He said, I tell you the truth, unless you change, that would indicate something, wouldn't it? Unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Humility is something that you do to yourself. Whoever humbles himself. You're the only one that can humble you. You can say, well, hey, I've been humbled before by circumstances of life. Well, that may be true. Those circumstances may have made you look bad, but it didn't necessarily humble you. The only person that can humble you is you. When you decide that you need to change and become like this little child. So that's, that's a be humble. See, part of the message is be, right? So be humble. This is something you decide to do. I want to be this. I want to be humble. I don't want to act humble. I want to be Humble. I want to lower myself. Now, does that mean you say, well, do I need to lower my, 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 that you really think you can't do anything? No, that's not really what we're talking about here. We're not saying that you convince yourself that you're worthless. This is not an issue. If, if you're an intelligent person, you're still an intelligent person. You're just a humble, intelligent person. If you're an athletically gifted person, you're still an athletically gifted person. But you're a humble, athletically gifted person. Because you've made a decision to change your internal workings, not the, the outward uh, uh, abilities that you have. If you're beautiful, you're still beautiful. You're just a humble, beautiful person. And that's a great combination. Just let me say that. Say that. A prideful person in any of those categories, intelligence, beauty, athletic ability, We don't even like to be around those people. They're difficult to deal with. 
It's not an issue of whether they have talent. It's an issue of whether they have a heart that we can stand to be around, if you understand what I'm saying. Okay, look back to, uh, to Matthew 5 here. The other one we're going to look at is merciful. He mentions a number of them, and we're really skipping a lot of good stuff here. But we'll come on down, and uh, we're going to look at the, the merciful. In verse 7, Blessed are happy are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. This attitude of mercy. For our purposes, I want you to go down the road of, of, uh, of, of thinking that being merciful, we're going to tr- sort of go backwards. Being merciful, probably the word that we understand the best is being forgiven, right? Is that right? Got a, f- a few head shakes out there? Some of you are totally confused. Merciful, being merciful in, in judgment of other people and dealing with other people around you. Forgiving. Then the next step back, if a person is forgiving, usually they're compassionate and kind. Right? So if you're kind and compassionate, that leads you to being forgiving, which is probably a word that we understand very parallel to the idea of being merciful. So let me ask you this. If you look at our world today, would you say that a world that we live in In 2017 in Los Angeles, greater Los Angeles area here, are we a merciful people? I would agree with the groan. (laughs) I think generally speaking, and of course there's always exceptions to any statement like this, but generally speaking, we are a people that are not merciful with other people around us. Now, we want people to be merciful with us, right? But we're not, generally speaking, merciful toward others around you. If you're an adult here and you drive a car, you understand that concept well. You make a mistake, pull off, somewhere where you shouldn't be or, or not adequately sign what your intentions are, something like that, and, and, and you pull in someone's lane or, or that kind of thing. Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Treat me with mercy. Sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Someone pulls into your lane. Hey, idiot, get out of here. Get off your cell phone, you... Another woman driver! (laughs) I I just said what you all were thinking. We want to be treated with mercy, but we aren't necessarily intended. I'm kidding, by the way. Don't, don't, you know, I don't want. Listen, if you email me about that anyway, Chris didn't return that email. So, you know, 
Don't worry about that. Because you know I'm not going to. We want to be treated with mercy, uh, but we aren't necessarily merciful with others around us. Of course, what, what does he say here? For the merciful, blessed are the merciful, for they will what? They will be shown mercy. Shown mercy by who? Others around? Is that what he's talking about? I don't think so. He's talking about God is going to treat you with the same level of mercy that you have extended to those around you. Now, the next time someone pulls into your lane, you might want to just be a little buffered by that. In Matthew 6, further on in Jesus' teachings, he's actually here talking about prayer in the previous passage, but in, in chapter 6, verse 14, he says, For if you forgive men when they sin against you, not if, when. Right? This is not an if, it's a when. You are going to be sinned against. Yeah, that, that, that's, one of the, that's one of the processes that you go through when you become a young Christian. You, you, you start coming to church, you think, man, the church is awesome, this is great. You get baptized, you're like, man, the church is awesome. And you're here for a few weeks, a few months, however long it takes, and someone sins against you in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you're appalled and shocked. How can that happen in the church? You know, all you got to do is be humble by the fact that it won't be long and you're going to be the one not sinned against, but the one sinning against somebody else. Because we're, even though we're saved, we're still sinners. And that sinful nature is still alive in us, you know. We don't always treat each other as we should. You know, it's one of the things about the Bible I enjoy the most, the book of Acts. It, it, it includes right in the book of Acts how the Christians sometimes didn't get along with each other. So it's not like a normal problem in a sense of normal, meaning our age. And boy, Christians, a couple thousand years ago, they had that thing down. They didn't have it down any better than we do. People are people, and they have a hard time dealing with each other sometimes. Right? So it says, when someone sins against you, for if you forgive some uh, men when they sin against you, your Heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men when their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Now, for a grudger like me, and I don't think I'm the only natural grudger in the room, that's tough. That's, that's a challenging little passage of Scripture right there. I'd been married about, I don't know, weeks, and Chris said, you're a grudger. <laughs> Somehow I hid that our whole dating life. <laughs> The truth is, we, we dated long distance. She was in Boston going to nursing school, and I was out at uh, Northern Illinois University being a campus minister. So maybe we were far enough away from each other where she didn't pick it up over the phone. And uh, <laughs> this is, uh, it, was, it was hideable, but she picked it up on it. You know, you're a grudger. I bet I'm not the only one here. Matter of fact, I know some of you people. You're, you're grudgers too. If you don't forgive people, if you aren't merciful to people, then God is not going to be merciful with you. And I'm telling you, I need mercy. I don't know about you. Look over to James 2. 
James 2. We've got to get to do here in a minute, don't we? Man, we're almost out of time. Tommy got up here. He's sharing his thing and t- taking all my time. <laughs> See? See, there it is. It came out. No, Tom, Tommy, Tommy is awesome. Isn't, isn't Tommy awesome? I mean, we've got to love Tommy. <clears throat> In, uh, in James 2, in verse 12, this, this is a great passage right here from James. James is just a, he's a direct guy, he's a blunt guy in how he communicates. He says, speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Speak and act, conduct your affairs as if you are being judged by the law that gives freedom. In other words, the law that you're working off is the law that lets you off. The law that gives freedom. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. It is more important in life to be merciful than be a person of judgment. It's way more important to be a person who wants to let somebody off than someone who wants to smack them in the nose. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Okay, now that's the B, right? We've we got to be these two things. We only looked at two of them, but we've got to be those two things. Now, I want to talk a little bit about the do. Okay, that, he says men will see the things that you do. If you become these things, then you're going to do these things. Look over to 1 Timothy chapter 6. We're, going to, we're in the back part of the New Testament. We're going to do a little back part of the New Testament look. 1 Timothy 6, verse 17. Command those. Now, this is Paul writing to Timothy how to lead the church, right? How to deal with people in the church. Command those who are rich in this present world. There's some of you people that are rich. What I'm supposed to do is command you. Right? Isn't that what he's saying? Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides uh, uh, with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do what? Good. Remember that. Command them to do good. Look over to Hebrews 10. Hebrews 10. Verse 24. You guys know this passage a lot, right? You've read this before. Hebrews 10, 24. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. First Peter, chapter 2. See, these are all back in the back part of the New Testament. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 12. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day He visits us. Do you know what our problem sometimes is in Christianity is we overthink it. We overthink it. We convince ourselves that we don't get it and that it's too complicated and somehow, maybe down the road, 
will understand it. What should you do? Good. You, you want to go back and read the passages again? Good deeds. Now, you don't have to have a Ph.D. to put together what is something good. You understand what I'm saying? All you have to do is fill in good, and good is the opposite of bad. This is not complicated. Even my teenagers up here, they're like shaking their head. They get it. You should do good. Okay, church is going to end here in about two minutes. And, and what should you do? Good. What, what, okay, Bob, what is good to Rob? If you want to do something good to Rob, what are you going to do? Come on, Bob, let's go. You're going to make him dinner. Okay, Margaret, Margaret, will you pay attention? Margaret, if you're going to do good to Mary Kay, what are you going to do? We're going to do archery. So we got dinner. We got archery. Larry, if you're going to do good uh, to uh, 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 Jackie, uh, what are you going to do? Oh! Randy, what are you going to do good to your wife? Take her to lunch. Take her to lunch. Listen to her. Do our <laughs> Have a meal together. You, you guys are overthinking this thing. Well, what do I need to do? Do good. You've made what is, is incredibly understandable almost incomprehensible. I, I just don't know what to do. Sure you do. Just do good. Now the title of the sermon, my time is up, is be and do. What do we need to be? We need to be humble. We need to be forgiving. And what do we need to do? Good. Let's all try that together. We need to be... We need to be, and that was not well done. Let's start over. We need to be, we need to be forgiving. Man, did you guys not pay attention at all? Let's try it again. We need, we need to be, we need to be, we need to do, Go do it. You're dismissed.